Hi, my name is Chris Powell, and this is my Wilderness Moment. So my wife Wendy and my daughter Cynthia and I have been a blended family for about 11 years now. And it's not easy becoming a blended family in the beginning because we all have baggage from our past that we're bringing into the family dynamic. And it became very apparent to me about three years into our blended family that I needed to do some heavy work on what was inside of me. There's a lot of built up hurt, pain and anger and frustration and confusion uh, that unfortunately was negatively impacting our family. Pretty much I was being a jerk on a regular basis and I didn't want to do that anymore. So I sought out a professional Christian counselor and that was my entry into my wilderness. See, in my sessions, I was led in prayer to forgive those who had hurt me or caused me pain. And also I was led in prayer to ask Jesus to forgive me for the hurt that I caused people based on all that built up anger that I had inside of me. There's one particular prayer that was really impactful to me. I was forgiving a couple people who did something huge to me in my past. And in my mind, I was picturing standing face to face with Jesus. And when you know Jesus was 6'3 like me, but I had this ball in, in my hands and it was, it was like a big bowling ball. It had neon green and black swirling around and it was glowing and it was full of toxicity. And this contained all of the anger and all of the hurt and all of the pain that I had inside me. And so as I was praying to Jesus, I don't want this anger anymore, please take it away. My mind pictured handing Jesus this anger ball and he took it and he turned around with his back to me for a few seconds. And he turned back around and uh, his clothes were white still, his hands were clean and the ball was gone. And he simply said to me, what else you got for me, Chris? And it was right then and there that I started experiencing some healing in my wilderness. Now make no mistake, I'm not frolicking in the meadow and I'm not singing everything is awesome. I still get grumpy at times, but here's the thing. The triggers that were occurring to me on a regular basis just don't seem to be affecting me as much now. As time has gone on, that has been healed within me, and I'm very grateful for that. See, I'm still in the wilderness. I don't know where the exit is, but I know that when I'm tucking into Jesus and relying on Jesus to guide me and to walk with me, I'm, I know that I'm in good hands. During this time, as I'm in my wilderness, he's given me these great opportunities to be able to co-lead a class on blended families with my wife, Wendy, to be able to volunteer on uh, bass at, uh, during weekends with a bunch of wonderful musicians. And he's blessed me with a small group of wonderful people who are for me, who pray for me, who are in my corner. As I'm navigating my wilderness, it's so wonderful to have Jesus guiding my path and having the fortification of so many wonderful people to help me get out of this wilderness whenever that time might be. That's my story. I really appreciate Chris's courage in sharing his wilderness moment with us. Wilderness moments happen to all of us. It's a moment of clarity. It's a turning point. It's a space in between surviving and thriving. It is a God moment. A God moment when we have a simple choice. We can either turn towards God and towards his deliverance, or we can turn away from God and just wander deeper into the wilderness. 
One of my most profound wilderness moments happened on a sabbatical after 20 plus years of ministry. I headed to Orcas Island with two goals. I wanted to rest and I wanted to hear God. I went to actually hear the voice of God. And apparently, God sounds a lot like a cricket because that's what I heard for several days. Nothing. I did all the things you're supposed to do to hear God. I read Isaiah twice. I sat quietly. I didn't eat food. And I heard nothing. And I got angry. I went for a walk up to the top of a hill on Orcas Island and I had words with Jesus. And my words went like this. It doesn't even feel like you know my name. And when I turned around, this is what was lying on the lawn directly behind me. I don't know if it's a lawn sign for the family who lives there, but I had just finished saying, I don't even feel like you know my name. And I know that should have made me feel better, but it actually made me more angry. I'm like, seriously? I'm fighting for my soul here and you're playing lawn games? I don't appreciate it at all. Are you kidding me? And I stomped down the hill, whining and complaining and muttering under my breath. And I rented a bike and made a decision. I'm going to head to the other side of the island. And whether you believe me or not, I'm okay saying it. Jesus rides pedal bikes. Because I found myself pedaling uphill as hard and as fast as I possibly could. And he fell right in beside me and did one of those things where he makes eye contact into your soul. And I said out loud, I am not doing this right now. We are not having this conversation. And I pedaled and it was hot and I was dripping with sweat. And I pedaled until I finally couldn't pedal anymore. And he said to me, Grant, let it out. And I did. I lodged my complaint. You can call it disrespectful if you want to. This is the kind of a relationship I actually think God has room for. I said, I am so mad at you. I'm so mad at you. I want one thing. I want my wife to see. I don't want her to struggle in the darkness anymore. I want her to see the faces of her children clearly. Is that too much to ask? And I did not anticipate God's response to me. He said, I want the same thing for my bride. The church is the bride of Christ. I want, he said, I, I want my bride to see clearly. I want her to see my love for her. I don't want her to stumble around in the darkness and in the fear anymore. And in that second, in the middle of my wilderness, God went from outside of my pain right into the very center of it. He moved into my wilderness and he met me there. I've had so many more moments. I couldn't possibly list them all. Wilderness moments when I came to God in an honest moment and just asked a really hard questions. Jesus, I, I mean, I know that I love you as much as I do. Why do I keep getting stuck in the same sin patterns over and over and over again? Wilderness moments when I felt like I'd lost my way, stumbling around in the darkness. And then Jesus showed up and his presence became more than enough. Over the next number of weeks, we're going to meet a man by the name of Moses. This is his wilderness moment. Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. 
There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord God saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Can we stop there for just a second? The ground was not holy because Moses showed up. The ground was holy because God showed up. And the same God who showed up on that sacred ground is here right now and with you in your living room or sitting in the passenger seat of your car. Make no mistake, he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. What he did for Moses, he's doing right now for all of us. You might see some empty seats around you. They're all full. Every one of them is full of God's presence. Then he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. For clarity, milk of goats and honey of dates, not cows and bees. The home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I that have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Boy, that is a wilderness moment. For the next number of weeks, we're going to meet with God and a group of people in the wilderness. That's where we're going I'm sure many of you feel some level of resonance with the word wilderness right now. We all thought if we could just get to 2021, like if we could just turn the calendar to 2021, there would be a shift, there would be a change. Everything would somehow come back into line. And then we discovered that when the calendar moved from 20 to 21, that we still found ourselves in the barren landscape of the reality of our life. The truth is, even though we wanted it to, our reality hasn't changed very much. The backdrop of our lives was no different. And the honest, January 1 for me, I can be honest, it felt a little empty. And many of us are asking the question, how did we get here and how long is this going to last? So let's dive into some history. We're going to cover 400 years in five and a half minutes. Are you ready? Hope you brought your seatbelt. The backdrop of the book of Exodus is stark, grave, and empty. We're going to cover 400 years of history this weekend, and then we're going to move uh, into the, the next section of Exodus. If you need some background material, we spent two summers, it's in the sermon archives, on the book of Genesis. We had to divide the book in half. We preached through every single chapter. If you'd like to go back and pick up the prehistory to the book of Exodus, you can head that direction. But the backdrop of Exodus is not pretty. 
There's slavery, oppression, infanticide, and then a leader named Moses shows up. And we think, okay, it's all going to get good from here. And then Moses commits murder, and it gets really, really dark. And we have to wait and wait and wait for deliverance. So let's get started on 400 years of history before Exodus. Joseph, a Hebrew boy, becomes the leader in Egypt. He's a Hebrew kid, but he ends up becoming one of the key leaders in the nation of Egypt. Time passes. Joseph's descendants, the people of Israel, become too numerous for the Egyptians to handle. The Egyptians enslave the Hebrew people, and they oppress them with slave labor. Years of history hadn't changed the reality of the Israelites. This was decade after decade, generation after generation. This was their reality. It was the predicament that they were facing. Exodus chapter 2. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. I don't know about you, but watching my television this week, I needed to know that God was concerned about us. I can't speak for you, but my heart was broken. Like, what are we doing? But I love this. Watching the pain of a group of people. The people cry out. God hears. God holds true to his promises. God sees their pain, and God is concerned. We need to hold on to that. It's unbelievably important. Back to the story. The leaders of Egypt are so intimidated that they decree that every little Hebrew boy be murdered. That's horrible. But God has a plan. One of those little boys is secreted away. He becomes a fixture in the household of Pharaoh. Moses, a Hebrew, has been placed by God inside the royal family of Egypt. Moses grows up. One day he sees an Egyptian slave master mercilessly beating a Hebrew slave. And Moses' Hebrew blood boils and he commits murder. And fearing for his life, he runs into the wilderness to have an encounter with God, that whole burning bush thing. And in that encounter, he hears the promise. A promise that deliverance is coming. The Bible says, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, so now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses says, yes, and they all lived happily ever after. Some of you know the story wrong. Actually, Moses says, uh, me? You want me to lead your people out of Egypt. Really? This is your grand plan to save your nation, me? Apparently Moses stopped listening when the bush was talking because God actually says, yes, you, Moses. And it's all in there. It's an incredible thing. I mean, God actually lays out all of the preparation for leaving, for the deliverance, for the exodus of God's people. And it's amazing how many things they already have right, right from the get-go. They start with the right God. I mean, I love how God introduces himself. I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And don't focus on the human names. Focus on the first two words. I am. I am God. I was, always will be, always going to be in the present, in the past, in the future. I am God. You can trust me. I created all of this. All of this belongs to me. I have infinite power. And I've called you, Moses. 
And I've called you Christ the King. Got the right God, and then he calls out the right leader. Just so we're clear, the right leader is the one that God is leading. Let me say that again. The right leader is the one that God is leading, which means this. We don't put our trust in human leaders. They will always disappoint. We have one leader, one king, one pastor, one shepherd. His name is Jesus Christ. Eyes off the pastor, eyes on the master. Do we get that? It's so important. And then he says, we're going to take you in the right direction. We're going to move from bondage to freedom. I love these words. I will rescue them. I will rescue them. Moses, you're going to play your part, but I will rescue them. And then he gives them the right promise. And the right promise is this. I'm going to take you to a land and you're going to fall in love with it. One of my greatest disappointments of 2020 was not being able to get back to Israel again. The reason what I said about milk and honey is because when we arrive in Israel, our guide Sam Markarios always says the same thing. Welcome to the land of milk and honey. Milk of goats and honey of dates. And everybody goes, oh. I've had it wrong for all these years. (laughs) And then he promises the right presence. He says, Moses, I will be with you every step of the way. You have no idea what's between bondage and freedom, but I'm going to walk with you every single step of the way. My presence is going to be there. In fact, this is the journey that we're going to go on. We're going to go on such an epic journey that one day you're going to enter into the right worship. You're going to come back here and all of the nation of Israel is going to take off their shoes and worship me together. Boy, this looks good, right? We've got the right components. We've got the right leader. We've got the right plan. We even have the right God. I mean, what could possibly go wrong with this plan? And we forget there are humans involved. Broken, selfish, sinful humans. And we can all find ourselves in the product of this wrong but very common human conclusion. It goes like this. I'm going to remind you again. It's wrong, but this is the conclusion we come to. I mean, if we have it all right, we should be able to go straight from bondage to freedom. Right? doesn't work that way. We're going to learn a tough truth on our journey in the wilderness, and the truth is this. When it comes to people and God, the shortest distance between two points is not a straight line. It's a zigzag pattern filled with wilderness moments, and each one of them is designed to bring people face-to-face with God himself. The next chapter in Exodus finds the people of Israel where they have been for 400 years. Nobody moves, nobody leaves, but God begins to work. Moses goes to Pharaoh. You can see Charlton Heston walking in with his stick, right? Some of you are like, who's Charlton Heston? It's okay. Let my people go. And for five glorious chapters, we think we see the right kind of pain. And the reason that we think it's the right kind of pain is because it's inflicted on somebody else. We don't like it when we experience pain, but we've got a lot of room when, when it seems like someone else is suffering somehow. We actually like that kind of pain. In fact, some of us in kind of a twisted way, it's just like, go get them, God. Let's just get them. We love it when the pain's on somebody else. And plagues begin to show up in Egypt. Plagues of blood, frogs, gnats, flies, death of livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and finally the worst of all the plagues, the death of the firstborn in every Egyptian household. people of Israel watch as God pries them loose from the hands of the Egyptian empire. 
That final plague is still memorialized to this day, God's deliverance. The people have access. God's people have access to the right kind of covering. If you've never heard it before, these are the instructions that God gives to every Hebrew household. I want you to take a sacrificial lamb. I want you to take the blood of that sacrificial lamb and paint it over top of your doorposts and your door frames. And when an angel of death moves into Egypt, it's going to pass over your home because it's been marked. Passover is still celebrated to this day. And for those of us who know Jesus, we know that Jesus, our Passover lamb, has passed over our sin, triumphed over death, died on a cross, rose again so that we could come to him, build a relationship with him, and that we would be spared. This is not the final deliverance in Exodus. In fact, it's just the beginning. The Egyptians finally tell Moses, get your people out of here. The Israelites leave, and the Egyptians change their minds, and they start chasing them all the way to the edge of the Red Sea. I've preached this so many times before. Israelites, right up against the coast of the Red Sea, mountains on both sides, Egyptians behind, nothing but water in front of them. And then God shows up. Watch this. And he piles the water up on both sides, and he actually creates a dry highway right through the center of a sea. And when they get to the far side, they look back, and the Egyptians are right on their tail. And God instructs Moses to do this. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea and the water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. And we cheer in that moment and go, okay, now that's the right kind of deliverance. And there's a human conclusion, right? If we've got it all right, we should be able to go straight from bondage to freedom with nothing in between, right? Wrong. They're nowhere even close to being free yet. We're actually going to find out they're going to need some wilderness time so that they can come face to face with God. They're not yet at the door of freedom. In fact, I would put it this way. The Israelites find themselves in the liminal space. Might be a new word for some of us. The word liminal comes from the Latin root limen, which means threshold. The liminal space is the crossing over space. It's a space where you've left something behind, yet you've not fully entered into something else. You're just in that in-between moment. It's a transitional space. It's the place where, where you find yourself where you're, you're in between the what was and what's not yet. And it's a transition moment, and it doesn't feel very good. Because we just want to shift, right? That's what we all wanted on January 1. We wanted the page to turn, everything to go back to normal, the masks to get thrown away. We wanted everything to just be fine. And yet we find ourselves in the liminal space. I will be so bold as to make the statement for all of us. Today we are in the liminal space. 
We're still in a space of transition. We're in a place of wilderness. So we have to choose what we're going to do with it. Here's an interesting truth we're going to learn on our wilderness journey. The normal human response to the liminal space is complaining. Oh boy, here we go. Crossing the line from preaching right into meddling. If you read what happens right after the miracle of the Red Sea, right after, like verses later, right after God delivers them from slavery, right after God spares them from plagues, right after God shows up huge, right after God spares every one of their households, right after they sing a song entitled, The Horse and Rider Fell Into the Sea. I mean, right after that, like just seconds later, their tune changes. Hey, Mo, thirsty, do something about it. That's not an irresponsible request, right? It's like, I'm thirsty. Okay, Moses, Mr. Leader, you got us out of there. Now what? The people begin to grumble and complain. We're going to see this cycle over and over and over and over again. And we're going to shake our head and judge the Israelites. And then God's going to hold up a mirror. I'm not looking forward to it either, just so we're good, all right? God shows up again, actually says to Moses, hey Moses, you see that water over there, that brackish, disgusting water that you know you can't drink? Here's what I need you to do. Go toss your stick in it and see what happens. So Moses does. Walks over with his staff, the same staff that he raised to split the Red Sea, throws it in this brackish water and suddenly, sweet and cold, And they all drink, and it's good, and God is good because they just feel so good about everything that's happening. They've got everything right. Everything is perfect. And then within verses, hey, Moses, we're hungry. What are you going to do about it? And God shows up again. Every morning, the Israelites wake up. They look outside, and the ground is covered with this interesting substance. And they find out very quickly, you can actually eat it. It's called manna. The literal translation of manna is, what's this? What's this? God painted the ground with breakfast. What in the world is this? And they said when they ate it, it tasted like honey on toast. Awesome. On top of that, God throws in poultry. Manna and quail becomes their steady diet, and yet the people are not satisfied. The normal human response to the liminal space is complaining. And let me tell you why. It's because the liminal space is not the space we want to be in, but it's the most important space for us to grow in. Let me say that again. This in-between space, it's not the space any of us want to be in, but it's the most important space for us to grow in. So here's the question. In this in-between time, which will you choose? Complaining or committing? Here's a clue to the right answer. If you read the rest of the book, the complainers never make it to the promised land. That's a clue. Okay, let's have a heart-to-heart. Let's just kind of suspend the formality if there is any left. Let's just talk. Let's in our mind's eye go to a coffee shop where we can actually sit across from each other and and have a conversation. Over the last nine to ten months, how much time have you invested in complaining? I have done my fair share. My favorite four words are, don't get me started. (laughs) 
You know, it's interesting. I think God has a place for the right kind of complaining. The people lodged a complaint to God and God heard them and he was concerned. But when we cross that line between God, I need you and your help to solve this problem and we just turn it into wah, 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 then I think God draws a line. He says, you know what? We may have to go for a walk in the wilderness. I want to encourage you, go ahead, get it out of your system, but then you've got a decision to make, complaint or commit. Turn away from God and head into the wilderness or turn towards God and actually begin the journey towards his deliverance. It's your choice. I wonder if I talk to married couples today. What have you been doing for the last 10 months? What have you been doing more, complaining or committing? If you need some help in that area, I'd like to to, to throw another tool. So in December... Uh, Laurel and I launched a podcast called Continuing the Conversation with Grant and Laurel Fishbook. Um, yeah, there's a picture. And you can find it at podcast.ctk.church or on any of the major platforms. The first one we did with our kids. The second one we did with a couple that you met during our miracle series called Rick and Tiffany Bullman. Rick and Tiffany's wilderness moment happened in the center of their marriage when everything exploded in a thousand different directions and God moved in, mended them, and delivered them. I don't care if you're married, single, young, or old. You need to hear their story of restoration. It is raw, honest, and it will absolutely convince you beyond a shadow of a doubt that in the worst wilderness moment of your life, God has a plan. We're going to drop the episode this weekend. I hope you'll take 50 minutes or so and listen. I wonder if I talked to all the parents in the room When suddenly you became a homeschool teacher, what did you focus on, complaining or committing? I wonder if I talked to everyone at some level, business leaders, students, what have you spent more time investing your energy in, complaining or committing? Because here's what happened. The the, The page turned to 2021, and here's what happened. The COVID numbers went up, and the political tension went up, and the fear went up, And people freaking out went up. And everybody's mood and morale went down. So what do we do as the people of God? We choose. I want to encourage you to choose to press into a deeper level of commitment than you have ever pressed into before in your relationship with Jesus. Not just for you, but for the fact that this country needs actual Jesus-loving people to actually love Jesus. (laughs) This journey through Exodus is going to show us a nation. Sometimes they're going to turn away. Sometimes they're going to turn towards. We're going to see individuals and meet individuals. Some of them are going to turn away. Some of them are going to turn towards. And as we walk this journey through the wilderness, we're going to hold on to an anticipation. Because I know this. If you believe you're never going to get out of the liminal space, the transitional space, you will lose hope. Here's what I need you to know. There is an end to the wilderness. And I'm not going to tell you it's going to be six months from now or 12 months from now. That's not the timeline I'm talking about. For followers of Jesus, that's not our finish line. Our finish line is when we cross the threshold into our promised land known as heaven. And think about this for just a second. God created this in seven days. Imagine what he could be done and accomplished in thousands of years. The Bible says there is no human explanation 
for the wonder of heaven. No more tears, no more pain, no more politics, no more cancer, no more hunger, no more wilderness, no more alone. Just Jesus. So we're going to hold on to that anticipation because I'll tell you what, when you hold on to that finish line, it allows you to be able to embrace this wilderness moment and say, as long as I get to come face to face with God, I can do this with him.